Thank you, Pastor Ricky and choir and praise team for leading us in the time of worship. If you will, take your copy of God's Word and turn with me to the Gospel of John, John chapter 13. John chapter 13, we'll begin reading in verse 31 in just a moment. Let me begin by saying it, it really is a joy to be with you. It's an honor to be able to serve a church like First Baptist New Orleans. Uh, Jamie and I, whenever Jamie approached me, just as busy as he is, about kind of doing a tag team situation, it's like, you know what, that fits great for us. I, I'm, I serve as the dean at the seminary, but I, I, I'm a pastor teacher is what I am. And, um, and so I, since I've been here at the seminary, I have been doing interims. And I'll be honest, I, entered, I finished one interim just a few weeks back, and it doesn't take long for me to get the itch. When I'm not preaching, I feel like something's wrong. So when Jamie approached me about kind of doing a tag team situation, I said, you know what, that's perfect for us and our family, for us to be right here with you guys worshiping the Lord and, and having opportunity to serve alongside Jamie and just, just being able to, to serve you. We've said it before, and I'll say it again, First Baptist New Orleans indeed is a very strategic church. Now let me be careful when I say that. Every church is strategic. Every church is the body of Christ. Every church is the local representation of Christ in its community. Okay, I understand that. But, but I also understand this. Here in this city, a gateway to the world, one of the largest ports in the United States of America, we have the world coming to us. We as the seminary are situated right here. I believe more than any of the other Southern Baptist seminaries, we have an excellent opportunity to train a next generation of pastors and teachers and missionaries who will, who will reach the nations. And, and we have the perfect laboratory right here in New Orleans. In order for the seminary to be strong, the seminary needs her churches to be strong. There's no greater strategic church than First Baptist New Orleans right here, this church in this city. So when I say First Baptist New Orleans is a very strategic church, hear me, it is. All churches are, but, but this is one of those churches that we need to be a gospel-centered, Christ-honoring, God-glorifying church. Reaching the neighborhoods, starting right here, and reaching to the nations. We are praying for you as First Baptist New Orleans. Jamie has really kind of set the tone for us. Listen, I understand that while you're looking for a pastor, it's real easy to get uneasy, right? It's real easy to get unsettled. The last interim I did last almost 16 months. I understand. I'm not saying that's how long it's going to last. In fact, it might last longer. I, I don't know what it's going to take for First Baptist New Orleans, but, but I have seen it time and time again that churches begin to get antsy. Churches oftentimes begin to get impatient. And that impatience waiting for its next leader sometimes leads to frustration. Sometimes leads to ultimately what I would say is a distraction from, from the purpose and the mission that God has for its church in the first place. Listen, I understand that it can be difficult to wait. But can I encourage you to wait even still? Can I encourage you 
over the next months, how, whatever it takes, that, that you would just commit yourself to be a people who are glorifying God in all that you think and all that you say and all that you do. Will you be individuals who come together as the body of Christ, who live your life for the glory of God by doing this? By going wherever it is that he leads you to go. By doing whatever it is that he leads you to do and, and by loving how he tells each one of us to love others. James has done a wonderful job of helping us keep our focus here. With all the distractions that are going on around us, what can sometimes can lead to frustration and what can sometimes can lead to, to, to impatience, Jamie has helped us to really focus in on, on what, it, what, what the task is before us. Keeping our eyes focused on Christ, waiting patiently upon the Lord, and while we wait, going where he leads us to go, doing what he leads us to do. And this morning we'll see loving how he leads us to love. In John chapter 13, Jesus was preparing his disciples for his approaching death. Judas Iscariot had just left the group to really set the betrayal of Jesus in motion. Jesus then knew that his disciples would soon would, would be without their mentor. They, he, he realized that his, that his disciples would soon would be without their teacher, without, without their leader. Jesus knew that very soon his disciples would be like lost wandering sheep in the wilderness. So in order to prepare them, what he decided to do is he, he decided to, to put something very, very important down inside of them. He decided, it'd be like you and I, if we, if we knew that we just had a few days to live, right? You hear people talk about a bucket list, a bucket list of things that they would like to do and to accomplish. Can I just be honest with you? If I knew I had just a few days to live, I wouldn't care about traveling. I wouldn't care about going. You know what I want to do? I want to spend time with my family. I want to spend time with the people who are the nearest and the dearest to me. I want to spend time and just soak up as much as I could of them and, and impart and entrust into them what, what I've had entrusted and imparted into me. Jesus, knowing that his disciples would soon be in that very situation, he knew that he had just a few short days, and so he decided to do the very same thing and to pull in real close to them and, and place something inside of them. So really you could say that if, that if there was any important message that Jesus wanted to give to his disciples, this would be it. My time is limited, Jesus says, and what I must do now is I must give them what's most important in this life. He decided to put something down inside of them so that when life got difficult, when life got hard, that what was inside of them would be what would come out. My grandparents grew up in, in the woods in Mississippi and lived in the woods. And I remember one time my brother and I were visiting my grandparents. And, and I had recently prayed to receive, actually I guess it was after I prayed to receive Christ. I, I felt the call to the ministry when I was 14 years old made that public before the church. My family knew that God had called me into the ministry. And so I made that public. And I remember it wasn't long after that that I, my brother and I went to my grandparents in Mississippi. And, and we were hunting in the woods and just having a good time knocking around. And, and we got in an argument, right? We were brothers. We, we were just, that's the way sometimes brothers are. But we got in an argument. And I remember we walked back into the house. And, and I'm sure, let me just be honest, I, I, it's hard to imagine. My wife really can't believe this. I probably said something that I shouldn't have said. 
I probably had said a few things about my brother and to my brother. And I remember my grandmother was in the kitchen and she said this. And I remember it was one of the first times I heard it and it just kind of struck me. First, I have to use her voice and use my, my actual name. Arthur. Now you know why I go by Bo. Arthur, remember, son, what's down in the well is what comes up in the bucket. You see, I had been a follower of Christ. I had surrendered my life to the ministry. I had said that I had experienced the love of God in my life. And in that moment, in one of those many moments, when life was difficult, when life wasn't treating me fair, when I was frustrated, when I was angry, what was coming up out of the bucket was not what Christ had put inside of me. It was not what I had professed to have experienced from Christ. What's down in the well is what comes up in the bucket. John chapter 13, we see that Jesus realizes that his end is near. And so he wants to put something down inside the well of these disciples so that when they reach the difficult days that were certain to come, that what was down inside would be what comes up in those difficult moments. John chapter 13, I'll ask you if you'll stand in honor of reading God's word. Begin reading in verse 31. John chapter 13, we'll begin reading in verse 31. When he had left, speaking of Judas, Jesus said, Now the Son of Man is glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and will glorify him at once. Children, I am with you a little while longer. You will look for me, and just as I told the Jews, so now I tell you, where I'm going, you cannot come. Just understand, disciples, that I'm about to be gone and life's going to get hard for you. So, so let me tell you what's most important, Jesus says. The most important life lesson right now. This is my opportunity to give to you what you need to know. I give you a new command. Love one another just as I have loved you. You are also to love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Would you pray with me? Gracious, loving Father, I ask that as we dig into your word this morning, that you would teach us to be a people who are constantly reminded and reflecting upon your love that you have first shared with us. And then, Lord, I pray that we would be a people who show your unconditional love with all others. Teach us as a people, teach us as First Baptist New Orleans how to be a loving people, even in this hard and broken city. Help us, Lord, to be a people who love because you have first loved us. We ask this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior, Lord. Amen. You may be seated. Jesus has an opportunity to place something very important down inside of the wells of these disciples. And I believe it really wants us to come away with this same lesson. When you look at John chapter 13, verse 34 and 35, I really believe you can break it down to really kind of two challenges. What Jesus does is he gives us two challenges that you and I must see that he gave to the disciples and, and then walk away with these, with these challenges fleshed out in our own lives. So what was it that Jesus was trying to teach his disciples? What is it that he wants us to, 
to be challenged with this morning? Well, I believe, number one, if you're looking at your text there, you're taking notes, number one, what Jesus wants us to understand is that we're called to remember His love. Remember His love. That's the first challenge. Just to be reminded of, to reflect upon, but to remember the love of Christ. Where do we see it? Look at verse 34. So I give you a new command. Love one another just as I have loved you. You are also to love one another. Now, i got a question for you. Is that, is that really a new command? Like, wait a minute. Professor of the seminary, are you asking whether Jesus is lying or not? No, 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 don't get me wrong. Listen, the, the command to love was not a new commandment. You see, the, the Jews had been told to love other people all along. Back in Leviticus chapter 19, verse 18, Leviticus 19, 18 says that you shall love your neighbor as yourself. The people of God had been commanded for centuries to, to love other people the way that they love themselves. So the command to love wasn't a new command. But listen, what was new about it? If Jesus says it's new, then it's obviously new. What was new about this commandment? You see, the call to love wasn't new, but the call to love like Jesus was new. The call to love other people the way, the way Jesus loves, that, that's what's new. Notice there in verse 34 again, I give you a new command. Love one another just as I have loved you, you are also to love one another. If it's new, we have to understand how it's new. How is it that Jesus loves us? Well, what's new about this commandment? And why, why is he raising the bar? One of the beautiful things about Jesus is when he comes on the scene, he doesn't do anything to tear down the law. He doesn't do anything to tear down the scripture. Actually, over and over and over again, what Jesus does is he raises the bar. And that's what he does here. He says, look, check that, church. I don't want you to love other people the way you love yourself anymore because really you can't do that right. So what I want you to start doing is I, is I want you to start loving other people the way that I love you. Okay, Jesus, what does that mean? I believe we see here in this text and also in the scriptures around here that Jesus loved us really in two ways. If we're to remember his love, we have to think about how is it that Jesus loved us? Well, first off, Jesus loved us in his life by serving. If we're called to remember the love of Christ, we've got to remember that he loved us in his life by serving. Right here in the same text. Go to chapter, chapter 13, verse 1. Look at chapter 13. Pick up in verse 1. Understand that Jesus loved us in his life by serving. Before the Passover festival, Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart from this world to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the very end. Now, when it was time for supper, the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas, Simon Iscariot's son, to betray him. Jesus knew that the Father had given everything into his hands, that he had come from God, and that he was going back to God. So he got up from supper, laid aside his outer clothing, took a towel, and tied it around himself. Now he poured water into a basin, and it began to wash his disciples' feet, and to dry them with a towel tied around them. Dr. Dew has given us, the seminary, a challenge to be servants of Christ. The same challenge that you and I have each and every day to, to serve as Christ first loved us and served us. Verse 6, he came to Simon Peter who asked him, Lord, are, are you going to wash my feet? 
Jesus answered, what I'm doing you don't realize now, but afterward you will understand. You will never wash my feet, Peter said. Jesus replied, if I don't wash you, you have no part with me. Jump down to verse 12. When Jesus had washed their feet and put on his outer clothing, he reclined again and said to them, Do you know what I have done for you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are speaking rightly, since that is what I am. So if I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, so also you are to wash another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done for you. Truly I tell you, a servant is not greater than his master, and a messenger is not greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, you are blessed if you do them. How is it that Jesus loved us? Well, he loved us first in his life by serving. Jesus would go on to say in Matthew chapter 20, verse 28, he says, The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for the many. Understand this, church. We are called to remember how Christ first loved us. How did he show his love towards us? He was willing to be a servant. If there's anyone who was ever deserving, we just got finished singing that song. If there's anyone who's ever been deserving of all glory and honor and power and and wisdom and majesty, it's Jesus Christ. Yet, Yet he came to earth in the form of a servant. He goes on to say in Matthew chapter 20, verse 28, not only the Son of Man not come to be served, but to serve, but to give his life as a ransom for the many. I like to say it this way. Not only did Jesus love us in his life by serving, but he loved us in his death by sacrificing. How did Jesus love us? He loved us in his life by serving, and he loved us in his death by sacrificing. In 1 John three sixteen. It says, by this we know love, that he laid down his life for us. Romans chapter 5 verse 8 says, God proves his own love for us in this, that while we were, st- while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Hear me, church. As we reflect on the love of Christ, as we remember how Jesus loved us. He loved us in his life by serving, and he loved us in his death by sacrificing. Even when we don't, never did, and never will deserve it. What kind of love is that? I'm a seminary professor, so this is the audience participation part of our service. What kind of love is that? It's unconditional love. Absolutely Without condition, looking at you and me, filthy sinners, covered in our own nasty, dirty rags. God proving his love towards us in this, that while we were yet sinners, Christ dying for us. That's unconditional love. Now, can I be honest? I I wrestled with the understanding of what unconditional love looks like in our world today. In a perfect world, I'd like to say that I love my wife unconditionally. I know I'm treading on thin ice right now. She's right here within throwing range. Can I say, yes, I love my wife unconditionally, but can I also be honest as a fleshly man who sometimes still wrestles with selfishness? 
that I might say I love my wife unconditionally, but there's times that I put conditions on my love. I'm, I'm ashamed to admit it. And by, by the grace of God, I'm, I'm, I'm conquering that. But right, but sometimes we in our relationships would say, look, you, you love me, I'll love you back. You, you scratch my back, I'll scratch yours. You play with my hair, I'll play with yours. If you'll do for me, I'll do for you in return. So, so look, I'm, I, I'm working on that. I'm working and I'm striving and I'm longing to, and, and by the grace of God, love my wife as, as unconditionally as possible. Each and every day having to put the old man to death. Take up my cross and love my bride more and more every day. So I began to just think, man, that's, that's a hard comparison. So then I started thinking about my children. Oh, I know. Surely you love your, ch- your children always unconditionally, right? Yeah. But you know what? It's easy. For when they do wrong or they directly disobey to get angry and to get frustrated and, and to even as a, as, as, as a father sometimes maybe respond and react in, in wrong ways. Well, it's, it's, it's hard to put a comparison here. Began to think about the love that we have for all of our children. And then I was reminded that, that you know, my, my wife and I, we, we actually partnered with Crossroads NOLA here at the, at the church. We adopted our fourth son through the foster care system. And we love our fourth son just like we love our first three children. Okay? Can I say that? We, we love him just like we love our other three. But, but I began to think about what does this love look like? And, and I remember the day that we were in the courtroom and Nathan became a rice. I remember how the judge specifically looked at my wife and I and said, will you love this child like you love your other three? Will you provide for him and treat him and, and, and do for him like you do for your other three? And without equivocation, without any second thought, my wife and I were like, yes, sir, absolutely. That's the best picture I could think of. What, what unconditional love looks like. Look, that's exactly what God did for us. Being undeserving, filthy sinners. God said, I love you anyways. I'm willing to send my son, Jesus Christ, down the cross for your sins. If, if, you'll, if you'll just simply trust in him and And at that very moment when you and I prayed to receive Christ, the scriptures tell us that that's exactly what God did for us. He adopted us into the family of God. At that moment, we became co-heirs with Jesus. Let's just be honest. I didn't deserve that. I'm pretty sure, especially as I look around the room, that none of you deserved it either. It's not us. It's not about us. We're just simply reminded of the love of God. It is absolutely unconditional love. So here's the first challenge, church. In knowing how we should keep our focus and how we should continue to work for the glory of God, especially in the days ahead, we must be reminded of the love of God. If you're here this morning, you can't just be reminded. You have to realize the love of God. If you've never trusted in Jesus, today is the day. Say, I'm, 
I'm not deserving of that. I, I'm not good enough. I, I've, if you knew me, pastor, I've done so many bad things. It's all right. Because God loves you anyways. Realize, remember the love of God. But hold on, church, because here's the second challenge. And this is where the rubber meets the road. Not only are we called to be a people who remember the love of God, but more importantly, and even more difficultly, second challenge is we're called to reveal the love of God. Remember His love, and secondly, reveal His love. Look at verse 35. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Now, can I be honest? When, when I was, it was actually right after I had um, surrendered to the ministry, I was 14, going on 15 years old. I, I attempted to preach my first sermon when I was 15 years old. And I noticed I say attempted to preach my first sermon. In fact, my first sermon I preached for over an hour. I'm looking at the clock. We got a while. Um, so I, I attempted to preach my first sermon when I was 15. And, but I, I remember after that, my youth pastor really kind of took me on his wing and said, hey, you know, good try, but let's, uh, let's talk about what those looks like. And, and, and my youth pastor gave me and a group of guys a challenge to start memorizing Scripture. At 15 years old, one of the verses that I remember us learning together as, as accountability partners was John 13, verse 35. Now, I learned it in the New American Standard. So this is how I learned it. And this is even how I kind of thought about it as I was thinking it and saying it out loud. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Doesn't that sound real flowery, pretty, right? By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. As, as I became a better student of the Word, as I came to seminary studying under a man like Gerald Stevens there in Greek, as I began to just really dig into God's Word a little more deeply, and I, I began to, to begin to peel off the layers of what I thought I understood according to God's Word. And, and can, I, can I give you a, what I believe is a, and now yes, it's still my translation, but what I can give, can I give you a better translation for John 13, verse 35? Are you ready for it? Here's what Jesus is saying. If you want people to even think you're one of my followers, then you better start loving them the way I love you. <laughs> Hello? Doesn't that sound different? And it's still saying the same thing. By this, all men will know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another. But if we really look at it, what Jesus is saying, if you want people to even think think you're one of my followers, then you better start loving them the way I first loved you. Church, how did Jesus love us? We just remembered it. He was willing to be a servant. He was willing to sacrifice. Church, come in here real close. You and I, as God's followers, as His children, as co-heirs with Jesus, now we are given a challenge. We're given a command to, yes, think about how much Christ loves us and, and commit. To, to absolutely put the hand to the plow and commit 
to loving other people the way Christ first loved us. Because, because that's the only way. That's the only way that we should ever expect for someone to think that we're truly a Christian. You want people to think you're one of my followers? You better start loving them the way I first loved you. See, we understand this truth that love is an attitude that really ultimately reveals itself in action, isn't it? I can say I have unconditional love for my wife. I can say I have unconditional love for my children. But where it shows up is in how I treat them, how I speak to them, how I lead them, how I guide them, how I serve them. That's, that's where love, where true love is put to the task. That, that's where, where you and I begin to show what true love really looks like. So, so if we're to reveal the love of Jesus, how do we do it? How is it possible for people to see that we truly are, are servants who are willing to sacrifice and love as Jesus served, sacrifice and love? I thought about some ways that Jesus revealed his love. Just think about it. We can reveal the love of Christ by helping when it's not convenient. We can, we can reveal the love of Christ, listen, by giving when it hurts. We can reveal the love of Christ, hear me, by devoting our own energy to others' welfare rather than our own. We can reveal the love of Christ if you and I, hear me, and this is where it gets really hard, if you and I will begin to take the hurts from others without complaining or fighting back. When we love others unconditionally, not determined by how they treat us, how they speak to us, how they act towards us, that's... That's when we begin to show the love of Christ. You say, yeah, good luck with that, preacher. That's hard. That's hard. Can I say? You're absolutely right. That's why people notice it. That's why when we do such, that's why when we act such, that's why when we speak such, when we begin to show the unconditional love of Christ, that's when people notice that there's really something different about him. There's really something different about her. You say, what's different about you? How can you act that way? How can you speak that way in the midst of all that's going on? It's simply because I've been loved by Jesus. Oh, if you, and if you only knew, if you only had any idea of how horrible and wicked and evil I've been, yet my sins have been forgiven and God has revealed his love to me in spite of who I was and honestly, even at times in spite of who I still am. God loves me. God loves you. Church, if we could be a people who lived like this, hear me, the world would take notice. Jesus gives a beautiful picture of what this love looks like. Quickly turn to Luke, Gospel of Luke, chapter 10. I believe this is a picture of what true love looks like. Luke chapter 10, begin reading in verse 25. And we'll close. 
Then an expert in the law stood up to test him, saying, Teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What's written in the law, he asked him. How do you read it? This expert in the law answered, Listen, pay close attention, church. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind. Listen, and your neighbor as yourself. He gets it. He got it. Oh, yeah, but well, wait a minute. Jesus raises the bar, right? You answered correctly, he told him. Do this and you will live. Open mouth, insert foot. But wanting to justify himself, he asked, well, then, who was my neighbor? Jesus took up the question and said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell into the hands of robbers. They stripped him beat him up and fled, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the road. When he saw him, he passed by on the other side. The preacher, let's see who that is. The preacher was going down the road, sees this man who's beaten within an inch of his life. What's the preacher do? Step around him. Let's get away. Right? Verse 32, in the same way, a Levite, maybe an associate pastor, a deacon, a Sunday school teacher, a faithful member of the congregation who's here on this Sunday morning. Got it? He saw him and he passed by on the other side. Verse 33, but a Samaritan. A Samaritan. Now you and I, we can read this and it just flies right over our heads. Samaritans were half-breeds of Jewish and Assyrian descent. Samaritans were known for their for their love and their worship of false gods. Samaritans were absolutely despised by all Jews. That's who we're talking about. The Samaritan on his journey came up to him. And when he saw the man, he had compassion. He had the love of God in his heart. He went over to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on olive oil and wine. Then he put, on, put him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii, two days' wages, gave them to the innkeeper, and said, Take care of him. When I come back, I'll reimburse you for whatever extra you spend. If he's here for more than two days, I'll take care of that. Which of these three, church? This is that coming here real close moment in the Scriptures. Which of these three? Do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? And this, this expert in the law, because he hated Samaritans so much, couldn't even say the Samaritan. Which of these three revealed the love of God, Jesus asked? The one who showed mercy to him, he said. Then Jesus told him, You ask, who's my neighbor? Go and do the same. Now with that picture of love, go back to John chapter 13. Hear me. Jesus uses this picture in Luke chapter 10, I believe, just to be a reminder. That as followers of Christ, we're called to be a people who look beyond skin tone. Who look beyond 
any type of prejudice, who look beyond socioeconomic status, who look beyond whether it's that side of the tracks or this side of the tracks, who looks beyond which neighborhood you live here in the city of New Orleans, to look beyond whether it's Metairie, whether it's New Orleans, whether it's the North Shore, to look beyond any and anything, all things that might separate us. Jesus calls us to look beyond anything that we sometimes use as walls and barriers. And he says, that's your neighbor. Your neighbor is all around you. And what you are called to do is in remembering the love of Jesus Christ, he says, now go and love all people that way, unconditionally. Being willing to serve and being willing to sacrifice. And if you want people to think you're one of my followers, John 13, 35, then that's the way you better start loving them. Have you ever experienced the love of Christ? Let me try this again. This is, again, the audience participation part. Have you ever truly experienced the love of Christ? If you're here this morning and you can't say yes to that, listen, I've got one more verse for you. John chapter 3, verse 16. John 3, 16, even if you don't know Christ, you might know this verse. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. This morning, if you've never trusted in Jesus Christ, you must realize his love for you, that he was willing to take upon himself your sins. He was willing to die because of your sins. He was placed into a tomb because of your sins. And praise God, three days later he arose. If you will trust in Jesus Christ this morning, regardless of your past, regardless of your sins, regardless of how evil and wicked you have been, you can receive the forgiveness of God. Why? Because God will love you and he'll show it. If you're here this morning, you've never trusted in Jesus, you need to realize the love that he has shared. For the rest of us, I asked a moment ago, have you ever experienced the love of Christ? The majority of you in this room said yes. So as you reflect upon it, as you remember it, can I challenge you to reveal it? Will will you commit to sharing that unconditional love of Christ with any and all people? Will you commit to love of the people even when they do you wrong? Will you commit to love your fellow church member in the midst of chaos, not knowing what the future holds? Will you be a people who are willing to to go wherever it is that Christ calls you to go? Will you be a people who will do whatever it is that Christ has called you to do, being a servant of God? And will you be a people who are willing to love God to the extreme By loving others the way he loves you. Will you make that commitment, church? I don't know what it looked like in your life. But I do know this. You and I will commit to love like that. At times it will be real uncomfortable. We'll have to be very unselfish. We'll have to get over ourselves. 
We'll have to stop worrying about our own desires. We'll have to care about others more than we care about ourselves. We we'll have to be willing to give and to sacrifice. We'll have to, we'll have to go to extremes and get really uncomfortable. But when we do that, that's when the world will notice. That's when God will be exalted. The song was written in the 60s. We sometimes still sing it today. It was written on this very verse right here. We are one in the Spirit. We are one in the Lord. We are one in the Spirit. We are one in the Lord. And we pray that our unity will one day be restored. And they'll know we are Christians by our love, by our love. And they'll know we are Christians by our love. They'll know we're Christians when we love the way he first loved us. What's down in the well is what comes up in the bucket. Thanks, Sam. Sam knows it. He hears me say it all the time. We said we had the love of Christ. What's down in the well is what comes up in the bucket. Would you pray with me? If you're here this morning and you've never trusted in Christ as Savior and Lord, again, I just remind you right now with every head bowed and every eye closed, this morning you have an opportunity to fully experience the love of God. If you're here this morning, you say, Pastor, you still, you just, you don't know how, how bad I've been. It's okay. I, I don't need to know. God knows. And yet he's willing to love you. If you'll just trust in Christ as Savior and allow him to be Lord of your life. He'll take the brokenness and bring healing. He will change you, transform you into a new creation. If you're here this morning, you've never trusted in Christ. In a moment, we're going to give you an opportunity to respond. Today is the day. Today is the opportunity you have to trust in Christ. For the rest of us here this morning, the tougher challenge is to begin to reveal the love of Christ that he has first shared with us. Maybe this morning you just need to come and kneel here at this altar and confess some, some anger, some, some hostility you've been holding in your heart. Maybe you're struggling with forgiveness. Maybe you're harboring bitterness in your own heart. Aren't you glad God doesn't do that? Maybe we just need to be a people who, in remembering the love of God, just commit to love others the way he first loved us. Maybe you'd like to come here at the front and pray with one of the pastors. Just kneel here at this altar. I don't know how the Lord is leading this morning, but I know this, he's always leading. Gracious, loving Father, I ask that as now we enter this time of invitation, that, Lord, you would speak to our hearts. Lord, I do pray if there's anyone here this morning who's never trusted in you, that today would be the day they surrender their life to you. Lord, for, for those who are here this morning who've already said that they've experienced the love of Christ, Lord, you would challenge us to be a, a people who, who go to extremes in revealing the love of Christ. 
that, Lord, we as a church, we indeed would be a people who go wherever it is you call us to go, who do whatever it is you've called us to do. And that, Lord, we would be a people who love the way you first loved us. Help us, Lord Jesus, to be a people who keep our eyes focused on you and you alone. In times of uncertainty, in times of difficulty, in times of trials and tribulation, Lord, what's down in the well, the love of Christ would be what comes up out of the buckets of our mouths and our lives and our actions. And we would be a people who reveal the love of Christ. Help us, Lord, to be a people who show the difference you've made in us. And I ask this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord.